European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 3, Focus Issue, Ischemic Heart Disease, by Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Risk Stratification and Treatment of Chronic Ischemic Syndromes, Focus on Angina Without Obstructive Coronary Arteries, Refractory Angina, Lipids, and Clonal Hematopoiesis. This focus issue on ischemic heart disease begins with a clinical research article entitled Coronary Flow Velocity Reserve Predicts Adverse Prognosis in Women with Angina and No Obstructive Coronary Artery Disease Results from the iPower Study Authored by Jakob Schroeder from the University of Copenhagen in Denmark and colleagues The authors note that many patients with angina, especially women, do not have obstructive coronary artery disease or CAD yet they have impaired prognosis. They investigated whether routine assessment of coronary microvascular dysfunction, or CMD, is feasible and predicts adverse outcomes in women with angina and no obstructive CAD. After screening about 7,200, the authors included 1,853 women with angina and no obstructive CAD on angiogram who were free of previous CAD, heart failure, or valvular heart disease in the prospective iPower, also known as Improving Diagnosis and Treatment of Women with Angina Pectoris and Microvascular Disease study. CMD was assessed by Doppler echocardiography in the left anterior descending artery as coronary flow velocity reserve, or CFVR. Patients were followed for a composite outcome of cardiovascular death, myocardial infarction, or MI, heart failure, stroke, and coronary revascularization. Median CFVR was 2.33. A total of 96 events occurred during a median follow-up of 4.5 years. In a univariate Cox regression, CFVR was associated with the composite outcome, as at ratio 1.07 per 0.1 unit decrease in CFVR p being less than 0.001, primarily driven by an increased risk of MI and heart failure. Results remain significant in multivariate analysis, as at ratio 1.05 per 0.1 unit decrease in CFVR, p equaling 0.01. Schroeder et al. concluded that assessment of CVFR by echocardiography is feasible and predictive of adverse outcomes in women with angina and no obstructive CAD. Results support a more aggressive preventative management of these patients and underline the need for trials targeting CMD. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Rosa Sicari from the Institute of Clinical Physiology in Pisa, Italy. Sicari notes that the last missing pieces of the puzzle are how to restore CFR in microcirculation, what is the best therapy to achieve it, how event rate changes when shifting one patient from a stratum of risk to another in relation of CFVR values. She concludes that in any event, we have the tool, now we need to use it. Epidemiological, genetic and interventional studies indicate that higher low-density lipoprotein cholesterol or LDLC levels are causally associated with an increased risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular, or CV, events. 
Accordingly, multiple clinical trials have shown a decreased risk of CV-related morbidity associated with lowering LDL-C levels. Hence, a cornerstone for secondary prevention of CV disease is treatment with LDL-C lowering therapies. There is a paucity of information, however, assessing the association between early changes in LDL-C level and intensity of statin therapy after myocardial infarction, or MI, with long-term prognosis from real-life patient populations. In a clinical research article entitled Low-Density Lipoprotein Cholesterol Reduction and Statin Intensity in Myocardial Infarction Patients and Major Adverse Outcomes, a Swedish nationwide cohort study. Jessica Schubert from the Uppsala Universitet Medicinska Fakulteten in Sweden and colleagues investigated the association between LDLC changes and statin intensity with prognosis after MI. Patients admitted with MI were followed for mortality and major cardiovascular events. Changes in LDLC between the MI and a 6 to 10 week follow up visit were analysed. The association between quartiles of LDLC change and statin intensity with outcomes were assessed using adjusted Cox regression analyses. A total of about 41,000 patients were followed for a median of 3.8 years. The median change in LDLC was a 1.2 millimole per litre reduction. Patients with larger LDLC reduction, 1.85 millimoles per litre, 75th percentile, compared with smaller reduction, 0.36 millimoles per litre, 25th percentile, had lower hazard ratios for all outcomes. Composite of CV mortality, MI and stroke, 0.77. All-cause mortality, 0.71. CV mortality, 0.68. MI, 0.81. Ischemic stroke, 0.76. Heart failure hospitalization, 0.73. And coronary artery revascularization, 0.86. Patients with greater than or equal to 50% LDLC reduction using high-intensity statin at discharge had a lower incident of all outcomes compared with those using a lower-intensity statin. Schubert et al. conclude that larger early LDLC reduction and more intensive statin therapy after MI are associated with a reduced hazard of all CV outcomes and all-cause mortality. This supports clinical trial data suggesting that early lowering of LDLC after MI confers the greatest benefit. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Kausik Ray from the Imperial College London Faculty of Medicine in the United Kingdom. The author notes that European guidelines have updated recommendations for patients with atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, including recent acute coronary syndromes, advocating that both a 50% lowering and an LDLC below 1.4 millimoles per litre should be achieved in a stepwise fashion, starting with statins and then through addition of non-statid lipid-lowering drugs if needed. He reckons that a pragmatic approach is needed to distribute costs of medications appropriately to those at highest risk and could lead to better attainment of guideline recommendations. Somatic mutations of the epigenetic regulators DNMT3A and TET2 causing clonal expansion of hemotopoietic cells, clonal hemotopoiesis, or CH, 
was shown to be associated with poor prognosis in chronic ischemic heart failure, or CHF, as well as in other CV diseases. In a clinical research manuscript entitled Clonal Hematopoiesis in Chronic Ischemic Heart Failure, Prognostic Role of Clone Size for DNMT3A and TET2 Driver Mutations, Birgit Asmus from the Goethe University Hospital in Frankfurt, Germany and colleagues analyzed bone marrow and peripheral blood-derived cells from 419 patients with CHF by error-corrected amplicon sequencing to define the optimal threshold of variant allele frequency, or VAF, for risk stratification of CHF by clonal hematopoiesis. They found that 56.2% of patients were carriers of a DNMT3A, N equaling 173, or a TET2, N equaling 113, mutation, with a VAF of greater than 0.5%, with 59 patients harboring mutations in both genes. Survival ROC analysis revealed an optimized cutoff value of 0.73% for TET2 and 1.15% for DNMT3A CH driver mutations. Five-year mortality was 18% in patients without any detected DNMT3A or TET2 mutation, VAF less than 0.5%, 29% with only one DNMT3A or TET2CH driver mutations above the respective cutoff level, and 42% in patients harboring both DNMT3A and TET2CH driver mutations above the respective cutoff levels. The authors conclude that the present study defines novel threshold levels for clone size caused by acquired somatic mutation in the CH driver genes DNMT3A and TET2 that are associated with worse outcomes in patients with CHF. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Kenneth Walsh from the University of Virginia School of Medicine in Charlottesville, Virginia, USA, and colleagues. The authors note that firstly, it will be essential to know whether these new threshold VAFs are only applicable to chronic ischemic heart failure, or whether they extend to other cardiovascular conditions, particularly other forms of heart failure. Secondly, it will be of interest to determine whether the presence of small clones with other driver mutations, such as ASXL1 or JAK2, may also lead to a poorer prognosis of chronic ischemic heart failure. Ultimately, answering these questions may help to determine one's risk of a poor prognosis following an ischemic cardiac event and may help dictate an individual treatment plan. In a state-of-the-art review article entitled Management of Refractory Angina, an Update, Alan Davis from the Royal Brompton Hospital in London, United Kingdom and colleagues Note that in spite of antianginal drugs and or percutaneous coronary interventions, or PCI, or coronary artery bypass grafting, also known as cabbage, the proportion of patients with coronary artery disease who have daily or weekly angina ranges from 2 to 24%. Refractory angina refers to long-lasting symptoms for greater than three months due to established reversible ischemia which cannot be controlled by escalating medical therapy with the use of second or third-line pharmacological agents 
bypass grafting, or stenting. While there is uncertain prognostic benefit, the treatment of refractory angina is important to improve the quality of life of the patients affected. This review focuses on conventional pharmacological approaches to treating refractory angina, including guideline-directed drug combination and dosages, as well as on novel invasive treatments and on the potential clinical use of angiogenetic and stem cell therapies. The manuscript is complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a manuscript entitled, Intestinal Cholesterol and Phytosterol Absorption and the Risk of Coronary Artery Disease. Jogchon Platt from the Maastricht University in Netherlands and colleagues comment on the recent publication entitled Genetic Variability in the Absorption of Dietary Sterols Affects the Risk of Coronary Artery Disease by Anna Helgadotter from Deco Genetics in Reykjavik, Iceland and colleagues. Helgadotter et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.